The House of Haller presents Tales from the House of Haller. DT's West End Tickler, read by Chris Courtney. Is it safe to go back in now? Is it safe to go back in now? No, not a topical refrain, but a very direct question one summer's evening at Drury Lane. It was a sold-out performance, and the building was deserted. I'd moved several hundred patrons to a safe distance, with a little assistance from our Bow Street neighbours. The theatre staff had searched every inch of the building, and now my boss was repeating the question to me in the deserted foyer. Is it safe to go back in now, David? It was our decision not the police's, and now it was mine. Time to run through the mental checklist. The auditorium and common areas had been searched after the previous night's performance. I had personally searched the auditorium again, all 2,184 seats, that morning. And Jerry, one of my security guys, had patrolled the foyer since the doors had opened. So, inside, we were probably secure. But what about outside? We checked the perimeter of the building... Yep, right around the enormous building, once every three hours since ten o'clock. And sadly, Jerry and I both knew what we were looking for. He'd learned in Belfast, me in London. For him, it was the Troubles. For me, it was Harrods. And although it may sound strange now, the winter I'd worked there, the world-famous Knightsbridge Emporium had had the distinction of being the most bombed building in Europe as evidenced by the positioning of one police officer every ten yards around the entire circumference of the building. "'Is it safe?' my boss repeated, echoing Olivier in Marathon Man. One last mental run-through of the list. Inside the building we had mainly been looking for incendiary devices, the size of a cigarette packet. Outside it would probably be a vehicle tilted a little to one side, loaded with ballast to direct the blast towards the building. There were other signs, sir. Uh, lapsed tax discs, scratches around the locks, etc. But essentially, if we felt anything was suspect, even if it was just a feeling, we would check the registration with the police computer to see if the vehicle had been reported stolen. But what if we'd overlooked something? And 2,184 theatre-goers were to walk back into a Grade 1 listed bomb? There are people so skilled in detecting the slightest variation in behaviour that they can spot a sweaty palm in a crowd a nervous eye-tick, or slightly out-of-kilter posture. Over my years in the West End, I'd become familiar with every national security force in the world, because whenever the UK government wanted to entertain a visiting dignitary, or sell a battleship to a Latin American despot, they'd take them to a show. But the only time I felt really safe at a high-security event was when we had the Israelis out front, just standing, and smiling, and looking at everyone. Sadly, we did not have a budget for Mossad at Miss Saigon, but we had the next best thing. The last surviving tribe of hunter-gatherers whose senses had been honed to superhuman accuracy through several generations of ruthless predation. The London ticket touts. During this latest bombing campaign, I had, once again, told them to let me know immediately if they noticed anything suspicious outside any of the theatres. And these guys were up there with Tel Aviv's best when it came to spotting anything out of the ordinary. 
give me two minutes, I said to my boss and slipped out into the street. The betting office opposite was HQ for the touts working Saigon, so very convenient for depositing their day's takings, and I gathered half a dozen around me. Anyone seen anything iffy today? They looked at me like I was balmy and shrugged as one, in disdain bordering on disgust. I was not only questioning their powers of observation and their overarching imperative to protect their investment, Miss Saigon was their livelihood after all, but did I really think they would put their own lives at risk by hanging around a potential blast area? I know, I replied, but I had to check. They shrugged again and returned to their betting slips. I ducked back into the theatre and gave my boss his answer. Yes, I replied. It's safe. Let them in. If the Israelis were the gold standard for security, the Americans were somewhere between tin and polythene. Imagine, if you can, that same Catherine Street on another sunny afternoon. Now look closer and you'll see that every doorway contains at least one trench-coated and crop-haired, I kid you not, national security operative. Code words have been circulated and memorised, roads have been blocked, and marksmen were positioned along the rooftops. A helicopter murmured sweet nothings to our own on-stage chopper. Then, halfway through the incoming, an earnest Clint Eastwood clone rushed over to us and announced full volume to the crowded foyer, The President's son is coming in now! Fortunately, it wasn't the president himself, just Junior, George W. Bush. Now, difficult as it may be to imagine today, but in the past, US presidents could sometimes be subject to occasional moments of irrationality. And these little wobbles could prove a tad dangerous when, as commander-in-chief, they enjoyed 24-7 access to the remote, the one that arms and fires several thousand US nuclear missiles. As a failsafe, the US Secretary of Defence always had to travel with the sister switch, and when he came to see Katz, we had to keep his cipher machine at the box office, uh, the little box that sends the signal endorsing the President's decision to end all life on Earth for 10,000 years. I am delighted to report that on this occasion, Alexander Haig's enjoyment of the show was not once interrupted by a Soviet nuclear attack. And after the show, he was duly escorted out of the theatre to the waiting... Uh, no. There was no limo and motorcade waiting for him. Not even a humble Ford Fiesta. The aides panicked. There was a frantic walkie-talkie exchange. But still no car. The foyer emptied. Twenty minutes elapsed. And frankly, we needed to close the doors and go home. So I went across the road and hailed a black cab to take the defender of the free world to his next top-secret location. This was, of course, the same theatre that had seen Canada's Prime Minister Trudeau, the current one's dad, oh, you got to love North American democracy, arrive in a convoy of bulletproof Range Rovers. Not that we could really see Pierre when he charged into the foyer surrounded by a phalanx of security guards. Now, as everyone knows, the New London is the only West End theatre with an escalator. Well, everyone knew except for Pierre Trudeau's security team. The human phalanx was on the second flight of stairs when they realised that their beloved leader wasn't with them. He was a moving target, riding a glass-sided escalator, looking anxiously around for his bodyguards. But hey, when it comes to security, anyone can make a mistake. 
and one afternoon I returned to the lane after lunch to find Jerry grinning from ear to ear. We found a tout in the queue. American. Kicked up a fuss when I told him to leave. Get this, he said he was a theatre critic, Dave. But I knew he was a spiv. Threw him out in the street for his trouble. Did he, um, happen to say who he was, Jerry? I asked, feeling the icy fingers of fear tickle my intestines. Sure, gave me a name. Frank Rich. Great name for a tout, eh, Dave? And, uh, fortunately for us, Frank Rich, who at the time was Broadway's most powerful critic by a Manhattan mile, still gave the show a good review.